jumping, Jehoshaphat, I'm a hunk. I'm a dude. I'm a hunky dude. Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a open? No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children Podcast. We will now bring this meeting of bald American dudes to order. I'm Luigi, and I'm bald. Can we please bring in our newest brothers, Brother Steven, Brother Matt, and Brother Chris. I tell you what, I don't like this. It's like the day I got married. Okay. <laughs> I'm Steven, and where's a brothel? My name is Matt, uh, Brother Matt. I'm bald, and I fortunately earn more money than a French deodorant salesman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris, and I'm bald. And I'm sitting here researching Madame Curie, but I don't know anything about science. I know, I know, I should have stayed in shul. <laughs> yeah, you should have. <laughs> we are reviewing Season 10, Episode 5, How Bleen Was My Kelly. Original air date, October 15th, 1995. Kelly has unknowingly created a new color chemical called Bleen, and Al quickly finds out that she has created a new formula that grows hair. Director, Amanda Bierce. Writers, Dan O'Keefe. Special guest stars, Harold Sylvester as Griff. E.E. E. Bell as Bob Rooney. Tom McClyster as Ike. Gene Woland as Scientist. Joseph G. Medallis as bald no-ma'am guy number one. George Hirschman as bald no-ma'am guy number two. Barbara Baldieri as sexy woman. And Lucky the Dog as Lucky the Dog. Kim Weisskopf voices the voice of Lucky. How unfortunate. After centuries of seeking a cure for baldness, my whole scalp feels alive. If you only bathe once every two months, your whole scalp is alive. The search is over. Jumping Jehoshaphat, I'm a hunk. Move over, Fabio. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Al Bundy's got a hot new look on a brand new Married with Children tonight. The title for this episode comes from the 1941 movie How Green Was My Valley. The film, based on the best-selling 1939 novel of the same name by Richard uh, Llewellyn, 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 <laughs> yeah. was produced by Daryl F. Zanuck and scripted by Philip Dunn. The film stars Walter Pidgeon, Maureen O'Hara, Anna Lee, Donald Crisp, and Roddy McDowell. It was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, famously beating C Citizen Kane and the Maltese Falcon for Best Picture. It also won Best Director... Best Cinematography, and Best Supporting Actor. The title for this episode was also used in Season 8, Episode 16, How Green Was My Apple. And Stephen, I remember you and Tyler reviewed that episode. Yes, we did, and we had a ball doing it. It was a fun episode to, re to review. Yeah, I, I remember your, your uh, 
I remember your analysis at the end. I thought, you know, you really did like a very biblical analysis about the Garden of Eden on that one. The apple and all that. I thought that was excellent. And original sin getting yep. into humanity. Yep. That's right. So for our fans of the podcast, if you don't remember that or if you haven't heard that, go check that out. Season 8, episode 16. Definitely do. One of my favorites in that season. It's a very memorable episode, you know. I think that's one that a lot of fans think of, you know, when they think about, you know, just the the neighborhood feud between the Bundys and the, the Darcys or the Bundys and the Rhodes, you know. <laughs> it was the Darcys. <laughs> yeah, Darcys. Mm-hmm. So welcome back, everyone. You know, we dedicate this episode today to our patron saint of baldness, Dan Chase. <laughs> you know, we've... We've, we've talked we've talked about doing a bald guy review of the bald and the beautiful and you know we've been trying to uh plow ahead with season 10 so uh when this episode came up you know our uh, illustrious stephen scott came up with came up with the idea of having all the bald guys do this review in place of the bald and the beautiful i mean maybe one day we'll go back and do it but what do you guys think huh yeah, it sounds like a plan i'd, I'd be down <laughs> i'd like to do that too i mean we talked about doing it earlier but uh, never did anything about it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I shaved my head. I put the wax on. So I'm ready to be a chrome dome tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you shave. I think it'd be a good thing to kind of find out our little journeys into baldness. I was in my 20s when I started to lose my hair. I remember uh, going to seminary in Kentucky and I had a school bus route. I drove a school bus and I had the same route for three years. And I think it was my third I can't remember if it was my second or third year, but one boy, his name was Chase. He said to me, Steve, the men in your family go bald quickly. And I told him, are you referring to my receding hairline, Chase? And he says, well, well, yeah. And I said, well, I've noticed it really started when I started driving this bus. <laughs> I think there's a connection. <laughs> and then in my 30s, it was uh, even less. And... In my mid thirty, I was thirty-four when I left. Uh, when I be, got into teaching, got into education, and while I was a substitute teacher, I needed some extra income, and that's when I started teaching kids how to drive at Oklahoma Driving School. So I did that for six years. My hairline was going back even more, so I'm thinking that might really have something to do with it. And so I'm, I think I'm thirty-eight, and I think to myself, "Ah, to hell with it! I'm just going to shave it all off." And I think it's funny that I felt a little insecure when I was going bald, but since I shaved it off and keep it off, uh, I feel better about myself ever since. What was that line uh, in um, in The Bald and the Beautiful? So the next time a hairy child comes up and says, hey, let me rub your head for luck, you just tell that child that's not what your mother rubbed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've seen uh, T-shirts that say it isn't a bald spot. It's a solar sex machine. <laughs> oh, boy. So when did you guys start going bald? Oh, don't get me started. Okay, so um, to proceed this, I started going gray when I was 13. Oh, gosh, that caused a bit of grief in high school. I started getting a lot of comments about, oh, ha, ah, you got gray hair, gray hair when I was 15. Uh, as for the baldness side of things, I'm pretty sure that started when I was 19. Wow, really started with you early. Yeah, I know. Talk about it. I mean, uh, 
Yeah, no, never really get, I don't really get any grief for it, and uh, I keep my hair fairly... I don't shave it all off, but I keep my hair fairly short and respectable, so it still looks all right to me. I haven't reached that stage of baldness yet. I don't have the whole grandfather ring yet, so I, mean, I would definitely shave it all off before it got to that stage, that's for sure. Whatever you do, don't take a piece of hair and pull it across the bald spot like my grandfather's did. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> oh, the, Ew, oh, the infamous no. comb-over? Yeah, the no. comb-over. It's just... Oh, God. <laughs> No, I promised no. my mom I would never do that, and I good clicked into my promise. <laughs> well, I, I'm not gray yet, but as far as the baldness goes, I'll say both of you guys lasted longer than I did, which is funny because if you if you would have known me when I was you know 14, you know through you know about 21 or 22, you would have never guessed I would have started balding early. I mean, I, I had a full Whoa. head of hair. But I started noticing myself thinning out at about age 23, and other people really started noticing at about 24, 25, and then it like quickly accelerated. By the t- and, and over this stretch, I tried everything. Like I tried Rogaine. I tried uh, – I don't think it was the hair club for men, but it was something similar to the hair club for men. It didn't work. I tried different oils and stuff. None of that worked. I was kind of insecure for about it for a little while, but honestly, by the time I, I got to my late 20s, I had fully embraced it, and I've been shaving, like clean shaving now for about 10 years or so, and it just, I, I think this is my best look personally. I mean, you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that if, if there wasn't something similar to Bleen on the market that uh, I wouldn't at least try it, <laughs> but um you know, I'm happy with where I'm at, and I think this is—I think this is my best look. You know, bald, being bald is one. Shaving your head is one of those things that's similar to like growing a goatee. Like some men can grow a goatee and look good and do it. Some men can't. Like me personally, I don't think I look good with a goatee or facial hair. Hair, but some men do. I feel like I look good with a, a shaved head. So it's one of those things. If you can do it, if you can rock it, rock it. You know, so. <laughs> And this is why I grew a goatee because, you know, I was bald and I thought, I need a little personality on yeah. my hair. You know, and uh, I like to comment, when, before I went, when I was a kid, my hair was thick and it just went straight down. And my mom said, you look like Mo. And the funny thing <laughs> is, when I shaved <laughs> I'm not kidding. And then the sad thing is, since I shaved it off, now I look like Curly. <laughs> <laughs> And you know the irony with Curly was that he actually had a full head of hair. Yes. But but for his part, he had, he shaved his he shaved his head so that he would be bald. But he actually had hair. Mm-hmm. How about you, Luigi? Well, I be, have all of you beat when it comes to age. I'd say around sixteen, it started to be noticeable. When I was finishing my freshman year of high school, I was with this girl one day. And uh, I was like sort of taller than everyone, and I sort of knew a lot of upperclassmen. So uh, some people thought I was older than I was. They thought I might have been a junior or senior in high school. And um, I remember, I think it was the last day of school, and I was commenting about like certain people. I says, "Go, are you graduating?" And she's like, "No, I mean, I'm a freshman." She's like, "You're a freshman?" (laughs) She's like, "I mean, well, you must be the only freshman with a receding hairline, you know?" Whoa! I was like, "Oh, you win." Yeah, so I, um, but I'd say by the time I was 16, it was noticeable. Uh, going into college, I could have pro- it probably looked like I had a natural yarmulke on my head. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of my buddies uh, from uh, college, like he had like a full head of hair as a freshman, but he balded 
Like he went from like hair to bald. I mean, really bald in a year. Whoa. Um, you know, that was sort of the thing. And, and I, I finally started shaving my head. I'm going to say maybe about six years ago. Like finally, I was like, you know what? Like <laughs> I've had enough. I mean, and I think like it, people have said it makes me look younger just by going fully bald. Yeah, yeah. In mm-hmm. reference to this episode of Bleen, like, you know, grows your hair back and, and increases your sex drive. Now, uh, Chris, you talked about uh, trying Rogaine, you know, and a couple of those other, uh, uh, like, Minoxidil, right? Yep. Based products. Well, have any of you guys ever heard of Propecia? Yes. Uh, yes. I don't think so. Yeah. So, sure. you know, I was about 19 years old and, you know, I went to the doctor. I was like, Doc, you know, like, I'm balding. And he's like, oh, my God, like, Luigi, like, you know, let's talk about this. And he's like, you know, he goes through, like, my family history. He's like, your dad bald? I'm like, yes. Your grandfather's? Yes. <laughs> you know, the men on your father's side of the family, I was like, bald. And I was like, you know, what about the men on your mother's side of the family? And I was like, well, Doc, it's like the Sahara Desert over there, you know. <laughs> so, so, so he looks at me and he's like, well, you know, Luigi, like, I'm a doctor. I'm not a miracle worker. Um but he said, you know, we could try this. And uh, it was Propecia, and they, they were advertising it on television. One day, science will create a pill for men's hair loss. That day is today. Introducing Propecia, the first pill for men with certain types of hair loss. In clinical studies, the vast majority of men, 83%, maintained their hair count, and most, 66%, regrew some hair. You may need to take it daily for three months or more to see results. Propecia is for men only. A small number of men experience certain sexual side effects. Each occurred in less than 2% of men. Women who are or may potentially be pregnant must not use it or handle broken tablets because of the risk of a specific kind of birth defect. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist and read the consumer information they can provide. It may look like just another pill, but for men who want to treat hair loss, it's a beautiful thing to behold. Propecia, helping make hair loss history. So I started taking, and like there are these pills, I think they were like blue pills or something like that, and... Started taking again. So you're nine. So picture this. I'm 19 years old. I'm taking these pills. You know, you take them every day, once a day, and it feel fine, right? And then, like about, I'm gonna say the second week, what I start noticing was, you know, my equipment isn't working. <laughs> you know, you figure like a 19 year old boy. <laughs> You know, usually it's like, you know, you, you'd get happy looking at a cheeseburger, right? right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, like, like, what the hell is going on? And like, I took these pills like for like three weeks and I go into the doctors and I'm like, hey, doc, you know, I mean, like, Luigi, how you doing? I was like, well, I'm taking these pills, you know, for my hair loss. But doc, like, you know, this is kind of interesting. It's like, you know, like I'm, I'm not getting excited anymore. I goes, oh, you know, it, it, you know, it's one of the side effects, uh, supposed, mm-hmm. supposed side effects of taking this pill. So I picked up the bottle, threw it in the garbage and left, you know, <laughs> I was like, I was like, if I got to make a decision, you know, I'd rather be bald. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, what's funny is, um, I, well, you know, you, it had that effect on you. What the stuff I took had no effect at all. Like nothing, nothing, thank God, nothing, you know, related to that, but also nothing related to my hair, or my head or nothing. Like it was almost as if I had. What's it called when you have the the fake pill? When you take like a fake pill? Placebo. 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 Yeah, it's almost like I got placebos from Rogaine and placebos from the oils and placebos from the Hair Club for Men or whatever the hell it was I was using. Yeah, it was over ten years ago now. I can't even remember, but it's like I literally had no effect at all. It was just a waste of money, and that stuff was fairly expensive too. You know, it's like it wasn't it wasn't cheap. So I was just like, 
I tried that for at least a year or so. Different oils and sprays and all types of stuff, and nothing worked. So I was just like, I'd help. Most hair restoration stuff are scams, I think. Yeah. You know, well, I've, I have a medical background. I have a family with a lot of doctors and uh, right. nurses, and I was a paramedic for a while. And you'll learn it's genetics is going to trump just about anything you do. Yep, yep. that's right. And, and, and you know, if, and you, what you said is 100% true. If there's ever any doubt, just look at rich guys. They're still bald. I mean, Vin Diesel, he has plenty of money. He's bald. Yeah. Uh, LeBron James started balding in his 20s. Michael Jordan started balding in his 20s. Okay, if if these guys are bald and they can't figure, find a medicine to bring their hair back, there's no hope for us because exactly. they got a hell of a lot more money than we do. Yep. <laughs> well, like I said, I stopped feeling insecure about it after I shaved it off. And also, I think it helps that, you know, it's become a really big in thing over the last 20 years or so, yeah. 20, 25 years. I, you know, for, for myself, Stephen, like I would say like when I saw Patrick Stewart on Star Trek The Next Generation, that was the first time, like I said, oh, wow, like, you know, like bald can be like look good on a person. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I'd say he was probably the first one that was like, oh, you know, that's an idea. Yeah. You know, you know, Luigi, what you said a few minutes ago about it, actually shaving it clean, actually making you look younger. I get the same thing. And it's ironic because you'd think bald bald makes you old, right? Well, no. Like in my case, when, when I have my head clean shaved, I, I will get people that will think I'm in my 20s, like 20s up until my early 30s. But whenever I my hair, like if I've been working a lot and haven't had a chance to shave it, and my you know my midsection doesn't grow at all, like literally does not grow nothing, but my sides still grow. If it's been like a week or more since I've shaved it. People will guess that I'm like 40, 41, 42. <laughs> so depending yeah. on if I'm shaved or not, I, I'll get people guessing that I'm like anywhere from 25 up to about 41. <laughs> yeah. People usually assume I'm about 10 years younger than what I really am. Yeah. yeah. So that I like about. It's true. And, you know, I'll say like when I was in my 20s and 30s, people were pinning me like 10 years older than I was. And now, you know, in my mid, early mid forties, it's like, it's, I'm getting maybe like a few years younger. Matt, like what's like your experience? Okay. So uh, again, going back to high school before I was boarding, but when I was gray, I typically people thought it was two to four years old to say when I was 15, people thought it looked 17. When I was 17, people thought it looked 21. Now uh, people tend to think I look around uh, my actual age or maybe just a year or two older, but I've always looked a bit older than I've actually been. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously if you get the gray, right, the gray sort of throws people off. Yeah, right. I think the only people, anything that people knew I was still like 17, like it's the fact that I was actually at school and wearing a school shirt. Right. Hey, real quick, just to talk about the solutions, then we probably need to get on with the episode. One thing I refused to do ever was to wear a toupee. Same here. <laughs> yeah, they look awful, they're terrible, and it's embarrassing. I knew a, a guy, he was a principal, and one of the kids yanked off his toupee. You know, embarrass the hell out of him. That's pretty funny. Yeah, it's. I'll never do that. That's just like, that's too much. Yeah, you, you know, I, one of the funny things, uh, you know, real quick, a story about my dad. You know, my dad was also self-conscious about his hair. And, you know, when he was in his early mid-20s, he went to a doctor for like for hair loss. And he's, my dad says, like, you know, I'm sitting in there and all of a sudden the door opens and the doctor walks in. And, you know, he's as bald as a cue ball. And my dad's like, and this guy wants to, you know... <laughs> 
<laughs> this guy wants to take yeah. care of me. Like, nope. And I remember, like, you know, Stephen, you were talking about, like, the, some of those, uh, like, quacks who were, like, peddling hair loss products, you know, to get your hair back. I remember my dad, like, it was probably in the mid-'80s, you know, he went to, like, this uh, <laughs> seminar. I remember it was at a hotel by LaGuardia Airport. And it was like, oh, you know, like we have sort of like a solution for like hair loss. And they give you like this kit with like these brushes where you can massage your head and all that. But at the end of the day, like genetics is what uh, uh, <laughs> you can't fight the genetics. No, you can't. But I think what we can say is the point is, you know, the bald are more evolved, more intelligent and more sophisticated. <laughs> oh, yeah. And more aerodynamic. <laughs> <laughs> I have a cousin who's bald, and one time we made the joke, we need to do a, a you know a scientific study to find out if guys like us would get better gas mileage in a convertible than a guy with a full head of hair. Yes. <laughs> so with that, uh, let's get this episode underway. All right. So we open with Al knocking on the front door of the Bundy house, trying to get in. Bud, would you get the door? My arms are full. Coming. <laughs> yeah, and he's begging for help because both of his arms are full. And right. of course, Peg and Bud say, just a minute. They don't, they don't care. But neither one's helping them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Bud's is PC, presumably studying. Peg's just being usual self on the sofa. Yeah. And it's kind of like that thing where if someone asks for help, you assume, oh, well, that person will help them or that person will help them. I don't need to help them. I mean, you ever have that experience, you know, someone asks you for help and you think, oh, you know, someone else in the office will take care of it or somebody else will do it. It's just maybe that's their mentality. Ah, there's no place like home. <laughs> If you're going to come in, could you shut the door? Hey, if you're going to live here, could you shut your mouth? <laughs> so, so when Al walks in the door, he says, there's no place like home. And that's a reference to uh, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Yep, one of my favorite uh, kid, uh, one of my favorite movies as a kid. Love that movie. It's, it's still a great movie. I still love it. Still it still is, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's like one of those movies I like to watch about once a year. Like I watched yeah. it this past summer with the kids and they loved it. Yep. Yeah, I love the cowardly lion. <laughs> you know, Peg, this dog is chewing a hole in our budget. Oh, look at these. Kibbles, dog biscuits, liver snaps. Well, actually, Al, those are for Mom. <laughs> Why didn't you say so? <laughs> Ooh, food. And escape from this hellhole. <laughs> so Al says that he has kibbles, dog biscuits, and liver snaps. And uh, Peg says that they're actually for mom. So uh, <laughs> so Peg's mom uh, is, up, uh, is upstairs, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes. Uh-huh. But he said it was for, originally he said it was for Lucky. He said this dog is eating us out of the house or something like right. that. Yeah, and uh, it's like it's chewing a hole in our budget is what the line is, right? Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and, and uh, Lucky, who is a reincarnated buck, and we reviewed that in episode three of this season, 
he says, well, you know, it's like, oh, food is like an escape from this hellhole. I mean, that's his one liner for the for the episode. <laughs> this is something I talked with Tyler in a review in, in our in the last episode where I think it's getting to where Lucky and Buck started talking a lot more and it takes away the novelty of it a little bit. You know, at first it was kind of funny and cute, but now it's so much more. It's not as funny and cute as it used to be. Right. Now, here's a, a great, great setup. But you're in college. I mean, you don't go to parties or get laid or anything, but <laughs> you do take classes, right? Is there a point to this barrage, Dad? Is there? Oh, that's right. You're smart. <laughs> but where the hell is my paycheck going? Ah, well, luckily, Dad, I've put all the family finances right here in this computer. You put something I don't have into something I don't understand. <laughs> Reminds me of our sex life. That's putting something I have in something I don't like. You know, so Al walks over to Bud and he's like, Bud, you're in college. I mean, you don't go to parties or get late or anything, but you do take <laughs> classes, right? <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, so Al wants to know, like, where is this paycheck going? And, you know, we see this computer in the Bundy living room, which we haven't seen back. We haven't seen a computer in there back since the computer show. And what was that? Season five, I'm going to say? It was season three. That was the very, yeah, very, like, yeah, was was very season late three. season three. It was one of the first episodes I ever saw. Uh, and I noticed Al um, says he doesn't do computers. And I thought, we put off by the computer show by chance? <laughs> Right. Well, you got to remember, here's something. I do remember this. And Bud goes to college. He bought, he did have a computer in his dorm room. Now, of course, everything he bought, you know, you know, the check bounced. He probably was able to still nab a computer somehow because you would need one for college at that time. Yes. Yeah. 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 So Bud probably figured out a way by taking 75% of Kelly's money. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, every gig he, she gets, he gets 75%, so. <laughs> and actually, it fluctuates. Sometimes it's 80%. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> but she thinks that's a great deal, though. I mean, so, you know, she's happy with that. Yeah, now, you know, what's interesting is, you know, we're looking at a computer. Now, I bought a computer in 1990. Now, the computer that's on screen, to me, is a computer that's about slightly older than 1995. I mean, it appeared to be a computer with a, a five and a quarter inch floppy drives. So that would, you know, date it back to the late eighties. Yes. You know, like about 19. I remember those things. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it had a tri Tritron screen. That's one of the things that we see of the computer. Dad, look, uh, here's a list of all the salaries of all the occupations in the world. And here is what you make. <laughs> That's what I make. Mm. I'm a paper boy. Oh, no, Al. Paper boys can afford bicycles. There must be someone out there that makes less than I do. And what Bud says is, look, here's a list of all salaries, all occupations in the world. So there were two ways in 1995 you would have been able to get that info. It either would have been data on a disk. And, you know, the floppy disks, again, you have to remember the way like uh, storage was and how small those things would be. That'd be one. But I have a feeling that this would have been probably what was called a BBS, which was a bulletin board system. So in other words, in 1995, if you went online, yeah, 
I remember those. Before you really had web browsers, you used uh, these things. You had these online services. There was Prodigy, uh, for people who remember it, Promenade. It was almost like a closed internet. Like, you know, you browsed the internet servers of the dial-up company that you used. Like, and again, Prodigy was very popular during this period of time. And you could chat, you could look at these boards and there were some group discussions that were available at that time. And I'm going to say, like, people started browsing the web, like where you can effectively leave Prodigy and go to like other data sources out in the web with uh, web browsers right around 1995. I'm going to say 1995, 1996 are the early days when people started to do that. Do you guys remember this? I mean, I guess, Stephen, you might remember this more, I think, than Chris. I do remember this because after college was seminary and everyone had a computer, the prices had dropped. Sometimes you use your financial aid money to buy one. And once the internet came around, people were using it, going to the bulletin boards to converse with other students, other people, and other places around the world. And it was pretty interesting. And it was, and I remember the old dial-up too, the little annoying noise it made. Oh, don't we all? You know, the internet goes back pretty far, actually. I remember in the 80s, I had some friends who were computer science majors, and they would talk about the net all the time. I didn't know what they were talking about, but I do remember their conversations. And then we'd get spoilers like on Star Trek, The Next Generation, or Star Trek, The Voyage Home, and they would tell us all this stuff. And I'm like, shut up. I don't want to know about spoilers yet. Yeah. (laughs) And now it's just overwhelming. You know, you don't even need that squeaky dial-up thing, which I loathe. (laughs) Yeah, we've discussed this on some of the earlier podcasts, particularly Annabelle. You know, this is where these bulletin board systems, BBSs as they were called, this is where, like Carolyn, who's been on our podcast, like when she talks about talking about married with children with people around the world, this is where they started. These It was these bulletin board systems that were really like a a product of the Arapanet. Yep. Where that where then we moved to just the open internet and things like Bundiology, which will soon reach its twenty fifth year in April of wow. uh, of twenty twenty two. It'll be twenty five years up. One of the things we're hoping is to maybe get an interview with the founder. So I'm working on that with Annabelle. But uh, oh, that's yeah, a great idea. That's you know, but th- this this is like you know, I mean, again, this is like married with children's foray into the internet. And I mean, and again, the very early days of what it looked like. And I would say, if you're not of a certain age, it'd be very foreign to you. Like, I mean, I, I would say like maybe Matt, for somebody like yourself, uh, that's maybe something you've seen in the movies or seen pictures of, right? I mean, I think you're the youngest of us. Yes, yes. I uh, would have seen pictures pictures of it, yes. And in the, and in the films and TV. The, I mean, imagine like you, know, you could have gone on those bulletin board systems with no mouse. A lot of those were like, again, DOS-based. Yeah. So, so this is, uh, you could, you, that was in the days when you bought a computer without a mouse, you know, that was, uh, that was designed for. Yeah. Watch the old movie war games made in 1983. I mean, that yes. stuff was around. I love that film. Great film. Yeah. I grew up on it. Uh, I remember finding that Bundyology webpage back when I was in high school, probably mid high school. And I, I remember thinking that it was, just amazing. I was like, wow, I can look up all this information on married with children. This is totally cool. That'd be really neat to, uh, to, so, I mean, we're probably talking 20 years ago cause it would have been around 2000, 2001, something like that. That'd be really cool to interview them and just 
to be like, hey, you know, tell us about this. How, what, how much of a challenge was it to get something like this started in the in the 90s, you know? Right. Yeah. I, the first thing that was really that I found on the Internet back in the early days, and this would have been like late 1996, was like the Dean Adams program guide. That was probably like the first thing. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Uh, you know, that was the first time I knew like what the episode titles were. Before that, you just watched television. You didn't know that the episode was called The Bald and the Beautiful. Right. You just say, oh, that was the episode when Al and Steve, uh, they think they're losing their hair. And then all of a sudden you say, oh, that's season three, episode seven, The Bald and the Beautiful, original air date. You know, and all of a sudden it's like, wow. And, and that's when you first started to see scripts or, you know, like almost like clips of dialogue where you could find that stuff. Also, Internet Movie Database, they've been around for like 30 years or so, a little bit more than 30 years. Right. I know people bemoan it and like it at the same time, but you could chronicle those too. And if you, before, if you wanted a list of the episodes, you had to go out and buy a book like America's Favorite Radio Station, a book about WKRP in Cincinnati, or a Gilligan's Island book. And I've had both of those. So, yeah. And you know what the episode was called, who started it, and everything about it. So when Al talks to Bud about, and you know, I guess he looks at his salary against other salaries, <laughs> Al says, that's what I make? I'm a paper boy. <laughs> Peg's like, no, a paper boy can afford a bicycle. <laughs> well, I think it was before that when he was talking about, uh, what is it, I bring home nothing to put in nothing or something like that. <laughs> Peg says, that's our sex life. <laughs> that, was my, that was my favorite line. <laughs> Mom, Dad, bud. You will never guess what I got. No. A better game would be guess what you haven't got. I'll take virginity for a hundred, Alex. Well, that's funny. Nobody will take yours for less than a thousand. Yeah. That's a, a great tribute to uh, Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. That's a vicious, you know, those two are vicious. And I wonder, why does Bud try? Because Kelly usually has the better, best comeback. Usually. So Kelly talks about getting a part in a TV movie, and she's going to play Madame Curie. Anyway, I got a part in a TV movie. <laughs> well, who are you going to play, honey? Madame Curie. <laughs> so to prepare for the part, I thought I'd get some first-hand experience of what it's like to be Madame. So does anyone know where there's a brothel around here? <laughs> well, there's Howie's down by the airport, but then... <laughs> I mean, uh, Madame Curie's not a hooker. <laughs> She's a famous French chemist who discovered radium. Down by the airport. <laughs> what am I gonna do? I still have to research Madame Curie, but I don't know anything about science. <laughs> Kel, that's, uh, that's science, not science. The sea is silent. I knew I should have stayed in shul. <laughs> Marie Curie. She was born 7 November 1867 and died on July 4th, 1934. She was a Polish naturalized French physicist and chemist who conducted pioneering research on radioactivity. 
she was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize, the first person and the only woman to win the Nobel Prize twice, and the only person to win a Nobel Prize in two different scientific fields. She was part of the Curie family legacy of five Nobel Prizes. She was also the first woman to become a professor at the University of Paris, and in 1995 became the first woman to be entombed on her own merits in the Pantheon in Paris. Yeah, so, I mean, Kelly thinks that uh, Madame Curie is, is a, uh, a woman who runs a brothel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she does. Well, she has the name Madame, so it's like, yeah. <laughs> hey, Bud seems to know a lot of information about that place uh, down near the airport, though, so. Yeah, I'm going to find that address. <laughs> I mean, when he says it's Howie's, I wonder if it was in reference to Howie Mandel. <laughs> Could be, but it does remind who knows? They usually rag on Joe Piscopo, though. Yeah. Right. Maybe they wanted something fresher. But um, that joke about the uh, brothel actually reminded me. Because in my city of Perth, there's actually a uh, pub that uh, so, so serves a similar purpose. It's well known for that. Uh, so, Bud, if you ever went, went to Australia, go to the Redcliffe Hotel. So, maybe airports have something with seedy bars or, or brothels. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember growing up, I grew up near LaGuardia Airport. So, you know, there were like these bunch of like low budget hotels right around the airport. You know, and I remember driving by a kid like you would see like $25 an hour, you know, like on the side would be like a small sign. And like, 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 why would someone need to get a hotel room for, by the hour? You know, like, I mean, not, uh, <laughs> not understanding, you know, like exactly the reason why. But uh, uh, these are the interesting things about, <laughs> about airports, right? I don't know. Well, Chris, I mean, you're a flight attendant. I mean, you have any insight into that? You see that near just about every major airport. <laughs> you see these uh, just seedy-looking hotels that obviously are not very high class. <laughs> so there's something to be said about that even today. Yeah, so I'll just leave it at that. All right. I mean, has anyone ever stayed in one of those? No. No. I have not. <laughs> Thank God. I, oh. Yeah, it's kind of like I'm afraid of catching something from the sheets alone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I guess if you're worried about COVID, I mean, that's probably worse. <laughs> I'd, I'd be worried to step foot in one, afraid the police are going to bust in and arrest everybody in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kelly says, um, you know, she, does, she doesn't know anything about science. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I think, I think Kelly needs to go back to school and watch some Bill Nye the Science Guy. That would teach her a lesson or five. <laughs> you, mean, you mean go back to school? Yeah, go back to school. Now, so Annabelle pointed this out. So in season three, episode 22, it was science was pronounced as sense. All right. So that's interesting. And shul, uh, we looked this up. That's a German slash uh, Yiddish word. So shul in German is school, but shul in Yiddish means a synagogue. Hmm. Hmm. Just wondering, uh, I guess, which one is, do you think it's the German one or maybe just a crack at the, or just doing a Jewish joke? I think they're just making fun of the, Bud just told her that the sea is silent. <laughs> Look, Bud, you're my manager. Please do something to earn your 75%. <laughs> hey, come here. A Pakistani dirt vendor makes more than I do. Yeah, and he probably smells better. Probably has reason to. <laughs> I got it, Kel, I got it. 
I'll set you up with a scientist I know over at the university. Now, all you have to do is pretend like you're a professor. Okay, but, I mean, I think I'd make a more convincing Ginger or Marianne, don't you think? <laughs> so then we find out that Bud is making a 75% <laughs> on uh, her... Uh on her cut <laughs> and like i said this range is from anywhere from 75 to 90 percent that's right yeah so we cut back to al says that a pakistani dirt vendor makes more than he does <laughs> <laughs> and peg says yeah and he probably smells better too <laughs> <laughs> oh god so now we cut to kelly at tremaine university we assume uh, dressed up like a professor. <clears throat> ah, you must be the new professor. You must be Gilligan. Hi. <laughs> Kelly Bundy, at your service. So, Bud tells me you're in aerospace? Yeah, well, it's not rocket science, but what is? <laughs> right. No, she looked more like a Marianne or a Ginger. Right. And that's a bit of like a running joke, you know, and actually my kids the other day, like I actually watched the Gilligan's Island episode with them and they're like, what's this about? Like, why is this funny? I thought it was hilarious. When I'm a kid, like in grade school, our first thing, get home, watch Gilligan's Island and Bugs Bunny cartoon. Right. I don't know. It's uh, one of those, it must, I guess maybe to kids today, it's like a fine wine that they need to appreciate, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know about today. a fine wine, but I'd call it. Good beer at the end of the day. Good cheap beer. Girly, girly, girly girl beer. Because she even says to that uh, other scientist sitting there, and he said, uh, hello, I'm the professor or something. What was it she said? Uh, so she says, I'm the professor. You must be Gilligan. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> and this was a girl who didn't understand what Gilligan's Island was when Bud convinced her that the, the book report she had to do on Tre not Treasure Island. Ro Robinson the, Crusoe. Yeah, Robinson Crusoe, that he was on the minnow with the professor and Gilligan and all these other people. And she had no idea what he was talking about. Now she does. I've got this book report due, and I haven't even read the book. It's called <laughs> Robinson Crusoe. Well, I've read that. I can help you. It's for a small fee, of course. <laughs> okay. Robinson Crusoe was marooned on a desert island. The only people there were him, Friday, the professor, Marianne, Ginger, <laughs> and the rest. Wait a minute, wait a minute, slow down, slow down. The professor. <laughs> right. Now, in the first chapter, they had to get around the island. So Gilligan, I mean, uh, Robinson, and the professor, built the car that ran on coconuts. Oh, cool. <laughs> you know, Robinson always sang this little song around the island. You may want to do it in front of the class. It shows you read carefully. Just sit right back and you hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. It started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The mate, now that's Robinson, was a mighty sailing man, the skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. Twice? 
It's important. Well, you remember, it's like I had a th- I had a meeting with the principal, a three hour meeting, meeting, a three, a three hour, hour meeting. meeting. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like she has these moments of brilliance, but she doesn't know how to actually put it together. Like she she subconsciously knows that that three hour meeting, three hour meeting goes with Gilligan's Island, but she can't put two and two together. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So what are you working on now? Well, I just received a grant from the Crayola Company <laughs> to invent a new color, Bleen. Bleen. Is that a mixture of blue and green? No, of blood and spleen. <laughs> you know, it's for the kids who want to draw accidents. <laughs> really? You would think that Crayola would have enough colors already. Well, not anymore. See, uh, they had to get rid of black and white, you know, to be politically correct. <laughs> they were going to mix the two together and call it blight, but the guy who invented gray back in 74 threatened to sue, so. <laughs> so, what's your field? Alcorodentology. Oh, right. What's alcorodentology? <laughs> it's a study of that age-old question. How much booze can a rat drink before he explodes? (laughs) Kennedy Grant? Exactly. (laughs) This is your lab station right here. Oh, great. It's just like a smaller version of the one I have at home. (laughs) That reminds me, make sure you take all your findings with you when you leave. After all, this is academia. Thievery runs rampant here. I think I'm going to like science. (laughs) It's like shopping at the mall. She says that a bleen, they wonder if it's a mixture of blue and green, but instead it's a mixture of blood and spleen. (laughs) So so it's a color for the Crayola company. Crayola LLC, formerly Binny and Smith, is an American handicraft company specializing in art supplies. It is known for its brand Crayola, and best known, obviously, for its crayons. The company is based in Forks Township, Northampton County, Pennsylvania. Since 1984, it has been a wholly owned subsidiary of Hallmark Cards. Originally an industrial pigment supply company, Crayola soon shifted its focus to art products for home and school use, beginning with chalk, then crayons, followed by colored pencils, markers, paints, modeling clay, and other related goods. The company also produces the awesome Silly Putty and a line of professional art products under the Portfolio Series brand. Yeah, and you know, I've actually been to the Crayola factory. Ooh. It's, not, it's not too far from where I live. It's about an hour away. It's a really nice, nice place to go to with the kids. Over the summer, I went to the Ben & Jerry's uh, factory in Stowe, Vermont, and they have a graveyard. So they have like this uh, graveyard for flavors that is no longer manufactured. <laughs> Huh. And uh, they do this funny thing where, like, this person comes out, I think, like, once every hour or every half hour and, uh, r- like, reads the obituary of these uh, of these flavors. And it's uh, it's almost done like a limerick, you know, <laughs> I guess you might say. And I know in the Crayola factory, this, you know, there's certain colors that have been retired and, you know, they're sort of, like, on display. It's, it's very interesting, but kids love it. Uh, there's a lot of neat things you could do with crayons. That's neat that uh, that Ben and Jerry's factory you, you mentioned sounds sort of like uh, we have the the Bluebell factory, uh, which is about 
two hours from where I live. Do you guys have Bluebell up there, Luigi, and where you live? I think that's more of a southern thing. Y'all, y'all have Bluebell? Yeah, I, I've seen it in supermarkets. Okay. I know it's real big. I, I know you have it, uh, Stephen, right there in uh, Oklahoma. Oh, right? yeah. We have a, some factories here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bluebell's really, really big in the south. Best ice cream I you ever find. Yep. There's one joke I wanted to point out. So there was a, a joke about political correctness. So they said that Crayola had to get rid of black and white to be p- politically correct. So they mixed the two together to make blight. <laughs> I th- and that's going to come back to something later I noticed I want to point out later in the episode. Now, so Stephen, I got a question for you. There's this joke or this theme of joke that I've seen in Married with Children a few times. And usually it refers to the 70s. And so the line, for example, here goes, the guy who invented gray back in 74 threatened to sue, right? So <laughs> there's there's this reference to like, you know, the last, like, you know, the last time that happened was in 79 or 76. It's like, there's something funny about saying it, something happened in the, in the 70s as opposed to saying, oh, that was something that happened in 82. And I don't know, like, what it is, but we've probably seen it in Married with Children maybe half a dozen times over the course of the series. Here's a big thing. In the 90s, especially the mid to late 90s, they were reminiscing about the 70s big time. A lot of stuff. You know, it all started with that, uh, what was that? It's old, Dazed and Confused, Matthew McConaughey's first movie. Made the 70s really iconic time. That 70s show became popular. And I think that's probably what the writers were doing, going throughout all this reminiscing about the 70s. Kind of like how in the 20 teens, everyone was reminiscing about the 80s. And they still do, big time. But I hear the 90s are starting to come back as a time to reminisce about. Yeah, it's it's funny how we do that. We always kind of reminisce about 20 or 30 years, I guess you could say 20 to 25 years earlier. In the 70s, they're all reminiscing about the 50s. That's the popularity of Happy Days and the Grease, the musical. Yep. Yeah, Vernon yep. Shirley. And so it's just, it's a cycle of things. It's just when the adults get into all of the writing and Hollywood and television, they're reminiscing about their time. There's one coming up not too far ahead, an episode of Married with Children, when they will actually reminisce about the 70s and the 50s at the same time. And that's uh, it's when Al is a cop. They reminisce, I meant the 80s, because they're reminiscing about the show Cops, which came out in the 80s. And then they're also reminiscing Car 54, Where Are You? That's right. Ah. What one one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, sitcoms of the early sixties? Oh, really? Not that not that I was alive. I, I recommend that to everyone. I think that that was. There's actually a line that comes up that is uh, a reference to Car Fifty Four in this episode. Uh, we'll get to it uh, soon. Mm-hmm. I'll point it out. But before that, we talk about the field of alcor which is a study of the age-old question of how much booze can a rat drink before he explodes. <laughs> and Kelly asks, is that the Kennedy grant? <laughs> exactly. So, so that's a joke uh, for Ted Kennedy, right? <laughs> Probably for all the Kennedys. <laughs> yeah. But I think specifically Ted at that point, right? Yeah. I think they, they were all dead, I think, except for Ted at that point. Well, JFK Jr. was still around. Yeah, no, I was thinking about the Kennedy brothers, like John, Robert F. Kennedy, Ted. Yeah. Uh, like that generation. I, I don't think really, like, 
JFK Jr. was uh, was known for like being a heavy drinker. Uh, that, I don't think that was really part of his image at the time. I don't remember that, but I do. Rem- I remember when he died. And I think it was ninety nine. Yes, that it was. was. A big, that was a big deal. Yep, definitely was. All right, so uh, they make note that thievery runs rampant, and uh, Kelly says that she's going to like uh, science because if she starts stealing things, it's like shopping at the mall. <laughs> she doesn't understand what they mean about science and a lot of thievery going on. <laughs> they steal each other's ideas. Uh, that's steal right. each other's work, yeah. Yeah, I like the way she just steals a microscope, brought back some fond memories. I mean, I used to be really, really into science, but then I had, then I had a science teacher in year nine slash ninth grade who made science a bit too good, interesting. And then after that, it was like, oh, this is boring. Thank you a lot, year nine science teacher. <laughs> so now we cut back to Peg in the living room looking at the computer. All right. Now here's someone who might make less than your father. Eskimo blubber chewer. <laughs> nope. Mm. Check uh, French deodorant salesman. <laughs> Not even close. Hey, real quick. I want to say this, too. I'm not saying this B-plot was horrible, but it seems like the B-plot that they're coming up with, and I talk about this going back to Seinfeld, is that the ones in the B-plot are not agents at all. They're just doing something in the background, and it never comes together with the A-plot or the main plot. I thought one of the best episodes, I think it was in season six, called Teacher's Pets, when Bud was having the affair with his uh, teacher. Meanwhile, Al is going to have food at Chuck E. Cheese's, because he realized he could invade all the parties. You I know, love that, that. Yeah, that's a great one. Well, the two uh, plots kind of come together at the end, because Al, after his Chuck E. Cheese, he gets drunk and comes over and yells at the new replacement woman and has her arrested for sleeping with his son, even though it was the young one that ran off with the, the football player. But <laughs> the, the, the two plots here really don't connect at all. And I think this is something that's been happening since season eight, actually. It's plots don't come together. Seinfeld, all those plots usually came together at the end. And the Mary with Children writers just didn't have that knack down of bringing them two to the two together. I agree. I mean, I guess when we get into our ratings, maybe we can talk about some of that. <laughs> okay. So Peg looks at a couple of other professions. So there's an Eskimo blubber chewer. <laughs> Uh, this one always gets me. Uh, check a French deodorant salesman. <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> oh, and, oh, well, she hasn't done that yet. But eventually, when Kelly comes in, they said, try a, a, a ditzy blonde or something like that. Oh, that's not even, they make way more. <laughs> you got you to gotta love all the cracks at, at the French. As, as I always say, if you're, if you're French and you're a fan of Married with Children, I want to talk to you. <laughs> we definitely want you on our show. So yeah, I any, want to talk to that person. If we have anyone from France who's a fan of the show, you know, please contact us. We want you on our show. Yes, please contact us. I mean, it was obviously aired in your awesome country for, I'm assuming, all of its run. Uh, it was it was dubbed into your language, too, so obviously had an audience. Yeah, like, I would wonder, you know, that's interesting. Like, for example, Married with Children is very popular in Germany. So, you know, we have Christine, for example, uh, Christine Pa, 
PA. Yep. You know, and she's a huge fan. And we know that it's a, it's a big hit in Germany and it's dubbed in German. So I would be curious. It's like, what is what would Married with Children sound like dubbed in French when they make French jokes? And I almost wonder if they would just edit the joke out. Like, I mean, maybe they're like, hey, you know, we'll dub it in French, but we want to make sure it's, it's successful here. So we'll they take probably replaced French. it with England. Yeah. You, yeah. Well, you heard <laughs> that or they might have just replaced it with, uh, a, a, you know, an American crack, like, you know, making fun of the U.S. somehow, you know. <laughs> but, Who knows? It's hard to say. Yeah, I can see him, I can see it making a uh, yeah, English joke or maybe a, I don't know Quebecy joke, German joke, another country. Uh, if I get a chance, I might have I might have to see if there's any um, the, of the French dub on YouTube and see if I can pick it up because I mean I don't speak French, but I know enough about what the names of countries are. Like I know Angleterre is England, for example. So I might do some re- see if I can do some research. Hey guys. <laughs> my last day at the lab. It's a good thing, too, because there was nothing left to take. (laughs) Do you know what? I really got into my character. And, just like Madame Curie, I threw a bunch of cool, deadly chemicals together, and I invented something. The color bleen. (laughs) Mom, check up brain-dead blonde. (laughs) They make way more than your father. Kelly, where exactly is this um, color bleen now? Well, since it's a level three biohazard, <laughs> I had to put it somewhere where nobody would go, so I put it in Dad's shower. So Kelly, when she walks in, <laughs> she talks about how she uh, threw together a bunch of chemicals and invented something, what she's calling the color bleen, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she put it uh, someplace where nobody would go, which is Dad's shower. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's a level three biohazard. I want to talk about this simply because a lot of people may not understand this. I remember when I was a medic on an ambulance a long time ago, worked with a lot of fire departments, and you learn about bio level safeties. And just to give you an idea, I mean, they don't have it right, obviously, because this is mostly, you know, one, how to protect yourself from it, and two, what does it do? It's a biosafety level hazard one. That applies to laboratory safety. People work with low-risk microbes, okay? Uh, You don't have to necessarily wear a mask. You do want to be careful with the sharps and avoid the splashes or aerosols. And they do have to go to a daily decontamination of all work surfaces and just use hand washing to protect yourself. When you get to biosafety level hazard two, That's with agents associated with human disease, like pathogens or infections in organisms. And that includes like staph infection. And you need personal protective equipment when you're making this stuff. You know, we talked about a lot of people mentioned that during the pandemic. And the laboratory has self-cleaning lockable doors. In other words, you have to go through a lockable door and you have to have a sink and eye wash available. Now, biosafety level has biosafety level hazard three. This is what Kelly has with bleed. However, the microbes are so serious that the work is often strictly controlled and registered with the appropriate government agencies. Laboratory personnel are also under medical surveillance and could receive immunizations for microbes they work with. Standard protective equipment must be worn and respirators are required. You have to wear 
like uh, some sort of respirator. You have to have a solid front wraparound gown, work with microbes, and you have to access hands-free sink and eye wash available at the exit. And there has to be, get this, a sustained directional airflow to circulate, all right? And a self-closing set of locking doors. Now, four is the worst. These are rare, but okay. they do exist around the world. It's the highest level of safety. You have to change clothes and wear like an oxygen suit of some sort before you go in there. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never thought I'd say it, but I really enjoyed that shower. <laughs> you didn't wash your hair, did you, Daddy? No, I'm wearing this towel because I want to get a job as a New York City cabbie. <laughs> you didn't use the bottle marked Bleen, did you? Sure did! <laughs> it's great! It tingles! It's just like the commercial says. My whole scalp feels alive! When you only bathe once every two months, your scalp is alive. Daddy, Bleen is not a shampoo. It's a bunch of deadly chemicals that I mixed together at the lab. It's possible that this tingling that you're feeling could be a massive stroke. Either way, I thank you. I love Bleen. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, <laughs> Al, I guess with the towel on his head looks like uh, a Sikh, I'm assuming, right? I think that's yeah. the uh, uh, appropriate one. So now, like, you know, we, we sort of talks about how Bleen was in a shampoo and uh, <laughs> it's possible that the tingling you're feeling could be a massive stroke. <laughs> he says, but either way, I thank you. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. He's been welcoming death for years. Yeah. How do I look? <laughs> Jumping G, who's a fat? I'm a hunk. I'm a dude. I'm a hunky dude. He gets unwrapped and he says, Jumping Jehoshaphat, I'm a hunk. <laughs> now, so so the phrase jumping Jehoshaphat was a phrase used by Gunther Tootie, played by Joe E. Ross on Car 54, Where Are You? Jumping Jehoshaphat. What a nice day. Ooh, ooh. Look at that big St. Bernard. Gunther, would you please not... Would I please not what? Nothing. Forget it. Jumping Jehoshaphat. It's four o'clock already. Gunther, I'm your friend, right? Well, my best friend. Why? If I ask a favor of you, you won't get mad, will you? Jumping Jehoshaphat. Why should I get mad? Would you please stop saying jumping Jehoshaphat? Would I please stop saying what? Stop saying jumping Jehoshaphat. Do I say that? Just now and then. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even know I was saying it. Uh, sorry if it bothers you. There's a holdup in the Bronx, Brooklyn's broken out in fights. There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's a scout troop short a child cruises to an Idle Wild. Car 54, where are you? So, Stephen, you mentioned that before. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, and I remember that because I've watched the whole series. And Matt, if you might remember, I've uh, recommended that series to you. I really think you would enjoy it. A very, like, innocent type of comedy. Like, innocent, like, slapstick-style comedy from the early 60s. It stars Fred Gwynn, who played Herman Munster, who plays um, Francis Muldoon. Al Lewis, who was we know as Grandpa Munster, he plays Officer Leo Schnauzer and... Gunther Tootie, played by Joe E. Ross. Great, great series. I highly recommend it. In case you're wondering, Jehoshaphat was one of the Israeli kings in the Old Testament. Right. And I wonder, like, the phrase jumping Jehoshaphat, I guess, is just because it's alliterative. It's, it is alliterative. A- yes, it rah. is. A- alliterative. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. <laughs> Al says, I'm a hunky dude. He says, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. So <laughs> I have a feeling that maybe only Steven, you and I might know where that comes from. I for, uh, It's familiar, but I can't remember exactly where off the top of my head. So that was a line that Kelly LeBrock, who was the chick in Weird Science. Oh, yeah. She did a series of commercials in the 1980s for Pantene, and that was her line. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. My hair used to have a mind of its own. Then a few weeks ago, I stopped complaining. I started using Pantene. Pantene is really special. It's got all sorts of good stuff in it that actually gets inside your hair to make it healthier, stronger. Pantene shampoos and conditioners are serious care. Our pro-vitamin B5 complex penetrates your hair to give it inner strength. From the first day, I saw a difference. And every day, my hair looked fuller and shinier. The ends didn't split. All look frizzy. No, it didn't happen overnight, but it did happen. You'll see. Pantene shampoos and conditioners. Serious care for beautiful hair. I don't remember that. I only remember what she looked like and how hot she was. <laughs> you know what's funny, um, uh, Luigi, is I, I didn't remember where that's from, but I remember that line, like, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Like, I, I feel like that was something we said in school when I was a kid, but we didn't really, you know, is it one of those things you say it, but you don't really know what it's from, that type of thing? Because <laughs> I... I remember that line, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. <laughs> that was a line that says, don't hate me because I'm beautiful, was also used by one of the gangsters in the Bundy episode with Madam Inga. The man who controls the crystals in the loop, Mad Thursday Markowitz. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. <laughs> you remember when they were going around the, the table? And it's yep. like, this is like, you know, this guy from the South Side, you know, the king of the tarot cards. And so one of the uh, one of the last gangsters was, said that line. Hey, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. <laughs> I don't remember that, but I'll have to go watch it again. I always love rewatching old ones. Yes. Wow, Al, you have hair. How'd that happen? Who cares? <laughs> All I know is that Kelly's bleen has grown. What twenty five years of you has withered away. <laughs> Kelly. Man has been seeking a cure for baldness since the invention of the younger woman. This <laughs> is going to make me rich. Oh, yeah. What, don't you mean make us rich? No. <laughs> well, it's Kelly's formula, so I got to cut her in on it, of course, but the rest of you mean absolutely nothing to me. No, no, wait a second now. I, I'm Kelly's manager. I get 75% of whatever she gets. Kelly, 
Listen very, very carefully to daddy. Number one, Bud is fired. <laughs> Number two, do you remember how to make bleen? And can you make lots and lots for daddy? Yeah, sure. Sweetheart. <laughs> if you can make daddy some bleen, I'll buy you an acting career. You'll be the next Tory Spelling. <gasps> okay. But, but prettier, right? Hell, Two-Face is prettier. <laughs> sweetheart, sweetheart, if you're going out, would you get me some moose and, and a scrunchie? Okay, daddy. <laughs> You won't get away with this, Pop. I'll sue. I'll sue away. <laughs> You're getting lined behind Cy Sperling and his soon-to-be-defunct hair club for men. Because <laughs> when this comes out, I'm going to be one hairy millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I got to point this out. I just find it so funny that he has this towel wrapped around all that hair. He has no idea this hair is growing, but he wrapped his towel around all that hair. It's kind of like, it doesn't seem logical. Of course, we are talking about married with children. Right. But And yes. it's also how long it is. It can grow that fast, seriously, within a matter of minutes. I know. You know, you know what this reminds me of? Okay, this reminds me of an episode of The Simpsons from 1990 called Simpson and Delilah, season two, episode two uh, of that show, uh, where obviously Homer doesn't use bleen or anything uh, biohazard, but he uses demoxinil and uh, he gets hair instantly as well. Dear God, give a bald guy a break. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> This scene reminds me of that episode pretty much to a T, and, and again, Homer, like Al, he's like, I have hair, I have hair! <laughs> so, just reminds me a lot of that. You know, and a, a quick other reference was, uh, I think it was season three, episode one, Camp Krusty, or maybe season four, episode one. They yeah, season four, yeah. Off, yeah, they send the kids off to camp, and Homer loses weight, and he says, I've also grown more hair, I almost have enough for a comb-over. <laughs> <laughs> But then at the end, you know, he's watching TV and Kent Brockman interrupts with news about crisis at Camp Presti. Kids have taken over. We're about to talk with the leader. Homer's thinking, please don't be the boy. Please don't be the boy. He sees Bart. Those two hairs fall out and his belly sticks out more. <laughs> so moving right along. You know, so Al immediately, you know, tries to talks about marketing this and, uh, <laughs> Bud wants to get his cut of 75% in about this, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you know, Al says to Kelly, he's like, I'll buy you an acting career. You'll be the next Tory Spelling. <laughs> <laughs> Tori Spelling is an American actress, television personality, sociolite, and author. She is widely known for her first major role, Donna Martin, on Beverly Hills 90210. Beginning in 1990, produced by her father, Aaron. She has appeared in made-for-television made for movies, including A Friend to Die For, A Carol Christmas, The Mistletones, both versions of Mother May I Sleep with Danger, and The Last Shark Sharknado. <laughs> it's about time. She has also starred in several independent films, including The House of Yes, Trick, Scary Movie 2, Kiss the Bride, and Izzy's Way Home. 
She reprised her role as Donna Martin in Beverly Hills 90210 spinoff in 90210 in 2009 and 2019. Somebody correct me, but isn't she um, like isn't she basically broke now? I feel like I've seen her in the news yeah. recently, like uh, something about uh, her father cut her cut her off or something like that. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, like I, I think the money went to the mother, right, or is it the stepmom or something? Like, like, that. like her her father was worth like. Something like a five, four or five hundred million dollars, and I think he only left her just a, a very small fraction, like a million dollars or something, you know. Which, you know, to people like us, a million dollar inheritance would be great, but by Hollywood standards, she's basically broke with that type of money. <laughs> yeah, Aaron Spelling was, I think, one of the richest guys in Hollywood, and if I remember, like I heard years ago, he had this mansion that had so many rooms that, like, he had a room for like uh, for wrapping gifts. You know, something like that. I don't know if you guys remember that. <laughs> now, one of the lines is, well, Kelly says, I mean, obviously a little mean to Tori Spelling is this, but prettier, right? <laughs> and then, yeah. uh, you know, it's like, hell, Two-Face is prettier. So we have a re reference to uh, Batman. Go ahead, Stephen. I like it because, uh, well, well, pardon me, Two-Face is prettier. And Two-Face is Harvey Dent, a fictional supervillain. He was part of the comic book lore published by DC, and he eventually became an adversary of Batman. Harvey Dent was originally a, um, a district attorney, and he was badly burned. Half of his face burned, and he was one of the most enduring enemies. Two-Face belongs to the collective of adversaries that make up Batman's rogues gallery. And if you want to see a really good portrayal, don't watch uh, Batman and Robin. Instead, you might want to watch The Dark Knight, the second of the uh, Nolan Batman trilogy. And, and you know, if Alex was on this podcast, he was a big fan of the 1960s series. And uh, was, was that character Harvey Dent in the series? I don't recall. I remember like the Penguin, the Riddler. I don't uh, remember. The Joker. Yeah, I don't remember him or another good adversary, Bane. And then there was one more... One of my favorite Batman baddies or bad guys was Scarecrow. And I like that Nolan did him in the first movie. I just wish they would have done something with him in that old campy TV series. So Al says to uh, Kelly if she goes out to get him some moose and a scrunchie. <laughs> and they mm -hmm. try to cut Bud out of uh, the uh, money. And he's like, well, I'll sue. He's like, sue away. And he says to get in line behind Cy Sperling and soon-to-be defunct hair club for men. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Cy Sperling, president of Hair Club for Men, with some new important free information for men with thinning hair. Our own booklet, which you can get by calling our toll-free number, has been updated and expanded. Of course, it still contains all the facts you need to make an intelligent choice. And now more than ever, people tell us it's the most comprehensive booklet available. But what's more, if you call now, I'll send you a free subscription to Personal Appearance, the new men's grooming newsletter. This latest issue has some really useful articles, including an important discussion on the minoxidil drug controversy. For example, are there any side effects? What percentage of men grow hair with it? You really should read it. To get personal appearance and our own hair replacement booklet, just call our toll-free number now. And remember, I'm not only the hair club president, but I'm also a client. So yeah, it's just called uh, apparently just called Hair Club now. The um, former name was Hair Club for Men, but anyway, so Hair Club, formerly Hair Club for Men, 
was founded in 1976 by Seymour, or Cy Sperling, born on the 25th of June 1941, passed away 19th of February 2020, so didn't have to put up any of this COVID lockdowns, and he famously quipped, I'm not only the hair club president, but I'm also a client in his TV commercials. For decades, Hair Club was advertised on television, airing se- several different commercials and, of course, infomercials. I got a funny story about that. I told you about driving that bus in Kentucky, and one day I was in the dorms and at seminary, and I got a call. And it was a, the Lexington, Kentucky Hair Club for Men. <laughs> And they said, well, you filled out a little thing and put it in uh, put it in our display at the, one of the malls up there. I forget which one. And I said, no, I'm not interested in that. Uh, at first, I was blaming my doormates. I said, somebody's going to die. <laughs> they were all laughing. We were all laughing, having a good time with it. I told them, I just got a call from the hair club for men, but I never filled out any questionnaire. No, it wasn't anyone in the dorms. It was one of those kids on the school bus. Oh, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, I, back in season nine, uh, we reviewed an episode where, like, Kelly was uh, drinking those protein shakes. Yep. Yes. Right? And uh, you remember, like, the, the line of the girl was, it's like, remember, I'm not just the, because uh, uh, I'm the president of the company's daughter. Remember, like, that was the line? Because <laughs> they, they, they put the, the heavy sets girl's face on Kelly's body. Oh, yes. yes. And baby, look at me now, right? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So and that was a reference to this as well. Again, and this is all 90s pop culture. So (laughs) if you're around in the 90s, you'll you'll know it. If you weren't around in the 90s, uh, it might uh, fly over your head. Bald head for that matter, right? (laughs) By the way, I think we need to all have a moment of silence now for the death of Sice Sperling. You know, our our patron saint, Dan Chase, and... uh, the members of this episode's podcast team, we all bow our, our bald heads in silence. Yep. Yeah, don't look down, people. You'll be blinded. And then, I, I like this next part when Peg says, Hey Al, what about side effects? You know, no one markets a product without testing it. Oh no, Peg. Cigarettes? <laughs> Ford Pinto? <laughs> that condom I used on our wedding night? <laughs> Read my lips, Peg. There are no side effects. <laughs> okay, all right. And then Al goes on this little thing. Oh, no, Peg? Cigarettes? Ford Pinto? That condom I used on our wedding night? (laughs) 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 One of my all-time favorites in this part. Um, Now, now, you know, there's some continuity because 
what he's saying is if the condom broke on their wedding night, what he's implying then is that Kelly was conceived on the wedding night. You know, this is like one of those, uh, you know, we haven't had a continuity discussion in a little while, right? <laughs> so I figured, I figured I would bring it up because, you know, we, from what we understood, the reason why they got married is because it was a shotgun wedding, right? Right. Because Kelly, because you know, Peg was already pregnant with Kelly. Mm-hmm. The continuity police. Uh, I don't know, Annabelle, what do you think? I'm, I'm sure she'll comment on this when this episode comes out. <laughs> Yeah, because I remember a specific episode, although I can't remember the name of it all off the top of my head. There is a line in there. Oh, kids, I wish you could have been around to see when your father could have made something of himself. And Al says, I believe they almost did. That's right. As I recall, they almost did. (laughs) So the earliest forms of cigarettes were similar to their predecessor, the cigar. Cigarettes appear to have antecedents in Mexico and Central America around the 9th century in the form of reeds and smoking tubes. The Maya and later the Aztecs smoked tobacco and other uh, psychoactive drugs in religious rituals and frequently depicted priests and deities smoking on pottery and temple engravings. The cigarette and the cigar were most common methods of smoking in the Caribbean, Mexico, and Central and South America until recent times. And then, of course, we have the Ford Pinto, which was a subcompact car that was manufactured and marketed by Ford Motor Company in North America, sold from the 1971 to the 1980 model cars, the smallest American Ford vehicle since 1907. The Pinto was the first subcompact vehicle produced by Ford in North America. I think it's uh, most commonly remembered for blowing up whenever... uh, yeah. Due to the location of the gas tank. And then, um, you know, the read my lips line, that, that of course, is a, a famous phrase uttered by former President George H.W. Bush. Read my lips. No new taxes. Right. That's from the, uh, I think, his acceptance speech at the 1988 Republican National Convention. Yeah, read my lips. No new taxes. It was definitely part of his campaign, yes. And then he allowed for taxes to be raised. Right. Right. That's, I mean, that was the biggest thing against him in the 1992 campaign. That and Ross Perot. That too. Yes, (laughs) actually... Actually, probably Ross more than than that line, but that was one of the things that the, you know, sort of the candidates went after him on. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, uh, real quick on those... um, Cigarettes, they were also used by Native Americans here in the United States as well. That's what a lot of the uh, people in Europe really wanted to cash in on. They wanted this tobacco stuff. That's why they had plantation workers, and that's what uh, triggered the Atlantic slave trade. So we find out that bleed actually does have some side effects, and it's a type of side effect that is not very pleasing to Al. By the way, Peg, you look really good this afternoon. Who said that? the nicest thing you've said to me in years. You know, Peg, I have a sudden urge to take you upstairs and have sex with you. Who said that? Well, let's go. Wait wait a second, Peg. Wait, I better test this bleed a little bit. Wait wait a minute, Peg, wait, wait. God, you look beautiful. Who said that? I don't know, Peg. Somebody And if there was going to be one side effect, you know, we talked about the Propecia earlier, 
right? <laughs> this has to do with uh, Al wanting to make sweet, tender love to his wife. <laughs> yeah, this is this is one of my favorite. You know, Married with Children has a lot of running jokes and running gags throughout the series. You know, we could sit here and talk about them all night long, but this is at the very, very top of the list. If I were if I were naming my favorite um, running gags for Married with Children, it'd be the the struggle of of you know the sex battle between Al and Peg. <laughs> Peg wants it. Al doesn't. Usually, usually that's how it is. And, and just her dragging him up that staircase there. And every time, you know, he, he she would start to stop because he would come to his senses. And then he gives her another another compliment. And she's like, oh, well, come on, come on. You know, she's ready to go, man, because <laughs> she knows she's got to jump at the opportunity because Al's not like this very often. <laughs> I just love, he's like, oh my God, somebody shoot me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we don't talk about, we haven't been talking about sex points much, but sex point for Peg. Yep. So now we cut to a no man meeting in the garage. I now call this meeting of no man to order to announce the results of the final test of Al Bundy's bleem. <laughs> I mean, Kelly and Al Bundy's bling. <laughs> I now give you my wonderful daughter, whom I love more than anything. Thank you, Daddy. Now, placebos were given to the first group, Group A. <laughs> Things to do. Make will. Cut family out of will. Make tender love to wife with lights on. What? <laughs> now, as you can see, in the first group, there's been no hair growth at all. By the way, what was that placebo we took? Birth control pills. <laughs> You're both dismissed. Hey, is it just me, or are your breasts getting bigger too? No, but I have switched to light days. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> You know, and Stephen, you know, you've mentioned this, you know, I want to, I'm going to quote you on this one. You know, what's interesting about this episode in season 10 is you have a lot more scene changes. Uh, I talked about that, I think, in the season nine wrap up show, I mentioned how in the early seasons up through at least season seven, it's like we almost everything that's happening is happening in that Bundy living room. And now it's like, you know, we cut from, you know, the Bundy living room to the uh, to the lab, back to the Bundy living room, to the garage. And a lot is changing in terms of the nature of the show. And now they're relying more on gags and these visual effects than just the dialogue of being in that living room. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the placebos were given to two uh, members of No Ma'am who we never really see before. So they're like one-offs. And they are played by Joseph Medallis and George Hirschman. Yeah, that was something I've noticed. We've had a lot more unknown no-mammers. We always have the basics, Ike and Griff and Bob Rooney and, of course, Jefferson. I haven't seen much of Officer Dan, though. I'm kind of disappointed in that. If you're going to use no-man, bring in Officer Dan. Yeah. yeah. He, he must be um, at a donut shop or you know, <laughs> underneath. He uh, must be parked under the freeway overpass taking a nap or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I have to point this out, you know, so the first guy says that, is it just me or your breasts getting bigger? Because they were given birth control pills. And the second <laughs> guy's no, but I've switched to light days. I sort of miss this. So what light days refers to is like these panty liners. 
it's an absorbent piece of material used for feminine hygiene. So the great Annabelle had to explain this to us because I didn't know what the hell this meant. But what Annabelle says here is that light days also implies he's on the later stage of his period and that this cycle is nearly over, i.e. not heavy days anymore, although some women experience the reverse. <laughs> she says, is that enough info for you men? <laughs> That's plenty, yes. Thanks for the intel, Annabelle. <laughs> so now we cut to the group of people who took, who are in Group B, who took Blaine. Now, everybody in Group B took Blaine. So we see Bob Rooney. We see Ike. We see Griff. And we see Jefferson. Jefferson has the longest hair. <laughs> Reminds me of, I thought of that Michael Bolton. Yeah. <laughs> Now, you know, Al looks almost like a version of Fabio. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Bob, Bob Rooney has, uh, he almost looks like an Elvis do. Yeah, yes. yeah. Ike has like almost like this, it almost looks like Guy Fieri. I mean, I know that's the future, but it has like sort of the look to him. And and Griff uh, has almost like that black power wig like from the late 60s, right? Yeah. <laughs> and what I'll say with Jefferson is, you know, like Jefferson... You know, like those romance novels you you would see in the supermarkets. Yes, he sort of looks like the guys with the long hair. Like again, in that time period, the eighties, nineties, like that's what he looks like to me. Yep, that and, was, and, I think, the look, right? Yeah, and it totally fits his it fits his personality is what I was going to say too. You know, because he's the pretty boy, he, he's the romance guy, he brushes his hair, you know, he goes to tanning beds and all that. So it fits his personality definitely. And the bleen has worked in every case. I think the evidence speaks for itself. <laughs> Kelly, go inside and alert the media, particularly those with receding hairlines. David Brinkley, Willard Scott, Barbara Walters. <laughs> Kelly needs to now go inside and alert the media, particularly those with receding hairlines. David Brinkley, Willard Scott, and Barbara Walters. <laughs> oh boy oh dear <laughs> david brinkley he was born july 10th 1920 and died july 11th 2003 he was an american newscaster for nbc and abc in a career that started in 1943 and ended in 1997 willard scott no relation is an american weathercaster author television personality actor clown, comedian, radio personality, best known for his TV work on The Today Show and the creator of the original portrayer, Ronald McDonald. He was referenced in an earlier episode in which Al says he's waiting for, waiting for another day for Willard Scott to wish him a happy birthday because he'd always call out 100, wish a happy birthday to people who turned 100. Yeah, and he just died last month. He did. I did not realize that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I posted that on the Facebook page. I said, you know, Al, Al's not going to be able to uh, have Willard Scott to wish him a happy birthday anymore. Oh, I remember that one now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. remember when you posted that. I do, too. And, and then the last one was Barbara Walters. She was born September 25th, 1929. She is an, also a broadcast journalist, author, and TV personality. She was respected for her interviewing ability and popularity with viewers. Walters appeared as the host of numerous television programs, including The Today Show, The View, and my favorite she did, 2020, and the ABC Evening News. She, reti 
Since retiring as a full-time host, she continued to occasionally report for ABC through 2015, but now she is just uh, retired and living it up. I mean, amazingly, she's 92 years old as of this recording. Yeah. The whole group uh, talks about the side effects that they're experiencing, which are very similar to Al. Uh, guys, uh, am I the only one in the Bleen group who's had this horrible urge to do the girlfriend thing with the wife? Oh, thank God I'm not alone. Oh. I carried the wife across the threshold. Oh. I told her that I loved her. Oh. I even had foreplay. Oh. Hey, so what? Last night I pleasured my ex-wife and paid her back alimony. Yeah? Yeah, well, that's nothing. When I was making love to Marcy, I was fantasizing about... Marcy. Gentlemen, we are on the horns of a dilemma. By marketing Bleen, we'll make millions. Well, I will. <laughs> but we'll also be condemning mankind to a lifetime of lights on, bags off, wife-pleasing sex. Okay, okay, then it's settled. We can't sell Bleen. We'd be as hated as the guy who invented the G-spot. <laughs> hey, who was that guy? I don't know, Kenny G. <laughs> Al, we gotta do something. I mean, no ma'am is turning into yes ma'am. He's right. I don't know how many more times I can sex the ex. <laughs> My favorite one of the whole group was Griff. Well, he says, last night I pleasured my ex-wife and paid her back alimony. <laughs> oh, God. Griff, Griff was great. I love Griff. Yep. Uh, there was also that joke, we'd be as hate as that guy who invented the G-spot. <laughs> oh, man. You know, that sort of reminds me back, goes back to season one. If you remember like Al in a conversation with Steve, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, like, uh, it's like, you know, like what's all that, like where the end came from. It's like somebody told women that they should enjoy sex too. It's like, you know who I blame? The French. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, I don't think we want to get onto the G spot. That was a uh, little too racy, even for Mary with children. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it's a reference, they make a reference to Kenny G, and he was mentioned three times on Married with Children. Season 8, Episode 6, No Chicken, No Check. Season 10, Episode 5, which is this season. And one more time, Season 11, Episode 17, Live Nude Peg. Mm -hmm. Then we get to move back to the laboratory. Well, <laughs> Kelly invented Bleen. Maybe she can also invent an antidote. But she's going to need a guinea pig. No problem. I'll take full responsibility. A Bundy got you into this. Bundy will get you out. Yes. <laughs> we do need to conduct experiments. And Bud is being used as a guinea pig. Because Al said a Bundy. Didn't say himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, against his will, might I add. And, uh, you know, no pun on the guinea pig, at least for myself, right? No. <laughs> you, you know what I was actually thinking is I was wondering how they filmed this exactly. Is, is that just uh, David Faustino sitting in front of a green screen? Like, how are they doing that with his with his face? Because 
if that's if that's CGI, then it's hella good CGI for the mid '90s. You know what I mean? Yeah, it really is. I was impressed too. I also like to point out this is something I noticed in it, and I didn't realize it was in the notes that the music that was playing was very much like the hit song by Michael Jackson called "Black or White." That's right. And that's the only song by Michael Jackson I really, really like because it's more guitar oriented. And in that uh, video, there's a there's a lot of morphing where people change from one, not just uh, they, they change from one person to another, even crossing racial lines and uh, international lines and yep. gender lines. And it was it was a good music video, a very good message, I will say also. But turns into several things. He turns into a little black girl, a big black dude. He turns into a case of Vienna sausages. <laughs> I thought the funniest one though was uh, was when he turned into Al. You know, yes. <laughs> and then you see Kelly. You can tell she's saying hi, Daddy. <laughs> yeah. The song Black or White was released on November 11th, 1991. And it was the first single from Michael Jackson's eighth album, Dangerous. He co-wrote, composed, and produced it with Bill Bottrell. And it's a fusion of pop, rock, dance, and hip-hop. Now, in terms of what Kelly gives Bud, there are a total of four drinks. So the first one, he turns into a Hasidic guy, <laughs> followed by a young black girl. Then he turns into like what appears to be a gang member, followed by a geisha girl. Yeah. On the third one, he turns into Al. And on the fourth one, he's the Vienna sausage head, followed by like an old bud. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Okay, bud, I think I found the antidote. Are you ready for the last test? <laughs> well, I'm ready for the last rites. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want you, bud. What for? It worked! The antidote worked! It worked! It worked! One thing that killed me, and oh boy, when Kelly says, okay, bud, now for the final test, brings in that hot, beautiful girl. Mm -hmm. I forgot what her name was. Uh, Luigi. Barbara Balderi. Yeah, and I tried to look it up. She has little to no credits, acting credits. But she was one of my favorite girls, and I love her line. I'm here for you, bud. What for? <laughs> or he said, I, I want you, bud. What for? <laughs> oh, Man, I, I tell you guys one thing. I tell you guys one thing. We're going to have a hell of a hard time ranking the, you know, like if, you were, if we were to try to come up with the, the top five hot chicks for this season, <laughs> we're going to have one hell of a time. We've said this before. Yeah. I mean, we're on episode five of season 10. Yeah. I mean, episode season 10 has at least a dozen Playboy playmates. Oh, yeah. Now, now Barbara Balderi was not a playmate. I mean, and she didn't pose nude as far as I could find. But holy crap. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if she's not even in your top top 10 for the season, you know you got some hot chicks. <laughs> you yeah. Know? You know, and she was one of my favorites. I mean, I just... Oh, boy. That was unbelievable. <laughs> An unbelievable, beautiful woman. But, yeah, yep. thank you for sharing her name. Because uh, I've got in my notes here saying, who is that brunette fox? Because uh, thank you for sharing her name. <laughs> 
I would say based on like Alex's taste, I think that she would be in his top list. If, if Alex was doing the season 10 wrap-up show, I think that she would be on there. He likes uh, the darker types. He's not into the blondes. So now we cut back to the Bundy living room and Al's looking at the computer and he says that there's got to be someone more worthless than him. <laughs> you know, Peg, there's got to be someone out there even more worthless than me. Yeah, well, I'd like to meet him. <laughs> well, here it is, Peg. Occupation, none. Skill, none. Use, none. Peg, say hi to public loafer number one. <laughs> And he says, occupation, none, skill, none, use, none. And say hi to public loafer number one. And up comes a picture of Peg on the computer screen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) So in comes Bud. How you doing, son? How you you feeling? Oh, just great, Dad. Yeah, trying to find the cure for bleen turned me into a bitter, sexless, aging loser. (laughs) I might as well sell women's shoes. Come on, Dad. You gotta help me. I can't stay like this forever. Son, I, uh... Yeah, I mean to tell you something here. Uh, see, son, I, uh... I still have some bleen. Yeah, I, I saved it, you know, in case your mother should accidentally tie herself up to a railroad track and I would be single again. <laughs> But uh, since she probably just derailed the train, I, uh, <laughs> I'm happy to give it to you. It's upstairs in my shower. Thanks, Dad. I'll just run up and go get it. <laughs> you might as well sell women's shoes. <laughs> <laughs> he's on a frame, and uh, oh, he's very decrepit. Yes, uh, he's. He's gone from Bud Bundy to, uh, oh, he's almost, if he was in a wheelchair, I'd call him Grandpa Marsh from South Park. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of the episode, And Baby Makes Money, which yep. I found more appreciation for after the podcast was done on that. And that's when Uncle Stymie or Uncle Alfalfa, whoever it was, died. But he only promised money to the first person who had a male heir and named him after him. So Al is having a lot of sex with Peg, trying to have another kid over a nine-month period. And then he comes in old and decrepit towards the end. They even make it look like he's lost weight by giving him extra large clubs. And one of my favorite lines of all time, is Al Bundy here? And Al says, I was Al Bundy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's probably one of my favorite episodes of season five. I love that one. Uh, one of the things I pointed out to people on that one is that if you notice in that in that uh, uh, lawyer's office, right, all of the women that the Bundy men have are all redheads. Yeah. Yes. It's like, it's like part of the Bundy curse because when we did the first episodes that I did for the podcast were the England episodes. And I pointed that out. I was like, hey, did you notice that everyone was like, wow, like, you know, <laughs> you don't get it. So that's like to, that should have been part of the Bundy curse. And Jamie had said that at that point in time. Well, remember, even Gary has red hair. That's right. So Al uh, saved a little bit of bleen for Bud, and Bud's going to go upstairs. So down the stairs comes Lucky. That bleen made me so horny, I'm going to rent me 101 Dalmatians. (laughs) And I don't mean the movie. (laughs) 
<laughs> who also has his hair up, and he says that he's so horny that he's going to go rent 101 Dalmatians, and it doesn't mean the movie. <laughs> A doggy brothel. Right. Oh, Matt, why don't you tell us about 101 Dalmatians? Honored to, honored to, yes. Uh, so, 101 Dalmatians is a 1961 American animated adventure film produced by Walt Disney Productions and based on the 1956 novel The 101 Dalmatians by Dodie Smith, directed by Clyde Geronomi, Hamilton Lusk, and Wolfgang Reitherman. It was Disney's 17th animated feature film. The film tells the story of a litter of Dalmatian puppies who are kidnapped by the villainous Cruella Deville, Deville, who who wants to use their fur to make it into coats. Uh, um, this was parodied in The Simpsons about 35 years later with Mr. Burns and, and the um, oh, what's it called, uh, Santa's Little Helpers puppies. Anyway, back to 101 Dalmatians. Their parents, Pongo and Perdita, or Purdy set out to save their children from Cruella. In the process, we're rescuing 84 additional puppies that were brought in pet shops, bringing the total of Dalmatians to 101. There was also a live-action version, starring Glenn Close as Cruella Deville, released in November of 1996. I remember that one pretty fondly when I was a boy. I saw that quite a few times on video, and I saw it, I think I, think I saw it at the cinema, but it, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but I remember the live-action one more than the cartoon. Yeah, for me, it's the cartoon. I remember the cartoon. I'm the same way. I, I, I remember the cartoon. Yeah. Brother and I loved it. You know what I was just thinking about? Because I've, I've seen both of those, and I also saw the uh, the one that came out, I think, just last year that was called Cruella. You know what I was thinking is, like, seeing those movies as a kid, I remember thinking that Dalmatians were a, a hell of a lot more prevalent and prominent what the, than what they are, but... If you think about it, like you don't really see a lot of Dalmatians in real life. Like, no. <laughs> if you see that movie as a kid, you'd think you'd see Dalmatians everywhere uh, in the world. But I mean, think about it. How, how many people do you know personally that own a Dalmatian? I know zero. I, I've only seen about a half a dozen my entire life. Uh, yeah, and that's originally. What <laughs> originally, fire departments adopted them yeah. as the, the dog for a fire department. Yeah, yeah, and I, w- I wonder why. I was going to ask that question. Uh, that I don't know. I could try and look up something here real quick on Google. Dalmatians and horses are very compatible, so the dogs are easily trained to run in front of the engines to help clear a path and guide the horses and the firefighters to the fires quickly. They are still chosen by many firefighters as pets in honor of their heroism in the past. That's why. Interesting. Okay. If, if Google is telling the truth because we know if it's on the internet it has to be true right right that's right (laughs) well we end the episode where kelly says hey her movie is starting and this is like sort of ties back to the beginning hey you guys it's starting my madame curie is on no what channel is it on honey fox assume fox viewing positions From the makers of Buttafuoco, Misunderstood Family Man, or Giant Fat Sleezoid, (laughs) we proudly present Madame Curie, Misunderstood Scientist, or Sif-Ridden Whoremonger. Oh, 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 sailor. Is that radium in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? (laughs) 
And they assume Fox viewing positions. So oh, yes. <laughs> the, the last time we saw Fox viewing positions was in the season nine, No Pot to Peas in episode. Which Great is one episode. Of our favorites, right? Yeah. Who wants to finish up with Joey? I'll do it. Joey Butterfuco is an auto body shop owner from Long Island who had a sexual relationship with a minor, Amy Fisher, who subsequently shot his wife, Mary Jo Butterfuco, in the face in 1992 at the age of 17. Tabloid news coverage labeled Fisher the Long Island Lolita, but Afuco later pleaded guilty to one count of statutory rape and served four months in jail. Interestingly, he went to Massapequa High School and graduated in 1974, which is the same high school that Jessica Hahn went to, who graduated in 1977. And we, we all remember her, of course. It was a great episode. So they were actually there at the same time. She would have been a freshman in his senior year. Joey Buttafuoco was one of Bud's alter egos in season eight, episode three. And Chris, that was the first episode that you and I hosted for the podcast. Yeah, sure was, wasn't it? Back a year ago. Yep. Uh-huh. Proud to be your Bud. Mm-hmm. Jerry Seinfeld uh, was also a graduate there, class of 1972. We all remember Jessica Hahn. That was the shoe groupie episode, right? Where um, Al had a chance to cheat, but uh, he uh, proved his love to Peg by by not cheating, you know? <laughs> and but she got up to his bedroom because there was a ladder outside her do- his daughter's window. Yep, yep, yep. My, my favorite scene, I mean, that, that that's, that's a great episode, by the way, but my favorite scene is the very end where uh, Peg goes... Al, were you ever tempted by that that woman? And he and she's standing right behind him, and she he looks up and she, you know, flashes him, and he goes, "No." <laughs> and Peg goes, "You know, at your age, that was probably your last real chance." <laughs> uh, that was a good one. You know, something had just occurred to me, and that is, if Bud was going to be getting bleen, would we see the return of Grandmaster B? <laughs> good point mm. you know that was one thing i wish that, that that would have come up some more in the latter years i love grandmaster b yeah me too it's a shame they yep. didn't didn't use it more no ma'am we'll be right back to wrap up this week's review be sure to join their facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates be sure to subscribe to them on the apple podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. And we're back. So for this episode, we're going to be providing our ratings in terms of number of bald heads. So either it will be zero bald heads, one, which will be Stephen Scott, two, Matt, three, Chris, four, myself, and five, Dan Chase. (laughs) So Stephen, do you want to kick this off? Sure. So how many bald heads do you rate this episode, Stephen? I'm going to give it four bald heads, so I'm rating it as a Luigi. And I really liked it. I thought it was funny. It had some good writing. 
My only gripe, you know, I talked about it earlier, is that these A and B plots are not intersecting. And also with, uh, it's almost like Peg is on the sidelines so much more. And of course, we didn't see uh, Amanda Bierce at all as Marcy. So it's kind of like, you know, where's the dynamic from that? Right. And she was directing, actually, right? Oh, she was? Yeah. I thought, I thought it was Kim Weisskopf. But anyway, so that's why she wasn't in it. But still, it's kind of like not too much. It's not too much Peg, not very much Bud. It's a lot more No Man. I mean, I know it's a Kelly-centric episode, but it's needs to... I just wish it had a little bit more to do on the B-plot. Okay, very good. All right, so Matt. Yes? How many bald heads do you rate this episode? Okay, Luigi. Well, I'm also going to give this episode the Luigi rating of four bald heads. Similar to what Steven said, I mean, the A and B plots could have um, interwined to each other a bit more. And, I mean, sure, there was a little bit, uh, it could, could have been a bit more um, like that. But, uh, I mean, it's good to have another hair episode after all this time with, um, you know, Al finally thinks he's going to hit the big time. The way he's conflicting with whole, do I make millions or do I make men miserable? He's like, ooh, and then he realizes he can't do it. So, <laughs> Bud being the guinea pig for being the antidote. Because there's no way Al's going to be the guinea pig. Uh, just just the, um, oh, the thought of how Kelly managed to make at least five different potions. The fact, the fact that she doesn't know what um, Skyens or... Uh, is um like I said, she needs to watch some Bill Nye the Science Guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just uh, yeah. So uh, and uh, all the all and one more thing, all the um occupations that apparently earn more money than our like French deodorant salesman. Or <laughs> that's my favourite of them. <laughs> I think another one was a uh, oh that's on my notes here. Yeah, another one was Pakistani dirt vendor. Yeah, all these jokes. <laughs> All these jobs apparently make more money than Al does. Oh, poor Al. Uh, but yeah, so four board heads for me. That might be a callback to an episode when the one when Steve made the loan to him for the shoe line. That was in season four. And at the end, they're saying, hey, Al, you lost $100,000. How many people can say they lost it? Especially someone who earns less than a fry cook. And then they go through this list, the garbage sale, yes. a certified yep. teacher. Oh! A certified teacher. Ouch. <laughs> oh, good. All right, so Chris. Yeah. How many bald heads do you rate this episode? Well, I'm going to give this one 3.5 bald heads out of 5. And I believe that's halfway between me and Luigi, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think that was halfway through between myself and Luigi. Uh, 3.5. I, I do enjoy this episode. I didn't think that tying in the A plot and B plot, you know, just kind of tagging on to what Steven said earlier, uh, definitely could have been a lot better. They, don't, they didn't really tie those in together. There wasn't a lot of Marcy... And there really wasn't, aside from, you know, the no man scenes, there really wasn't a lot of Jefferson either. But uh, I, overall, I thought the writing was pretty good. There was a lot of funny lines, especially for Kelly this episode. And uh, just the idea of, uh, you know, this hair growing product, I thought was very, very good. So overall, it uh, could have been better if they tied the lines together or the, uh, you know, the A plot and B plot. But I do enjoy the episode. So I'm going to give it 3.5 bald heads out of five. Very good. So 
Chris, I'm going to join you. I guess we're going to put our two heads together. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm also going to give this episode three and a half bald heads, which is my standard rating for the later season episodes. I, I like it. It's funny. What I don't like about the episode is that it is a complete farce. I mean, there's no sense of realism to it. And I generally don't like episodes like that because I feel like you know, it takes away from the dialogue. This was very heavy in pop culture references. So again, this is the era of the pop culture era of Married with Children. Really, I'd say they began in earnest, uh, specifically in, in season nine. And I think it just keeps going. <laughs> it's like, it's not like, for example, in the first uh, uh, episode of No Man with Jerry Springer, where it's like, it's like the dialogue is very, uh, <laughs> is almost realistic. I mean, Jerry goes up there and he does like, you know, it's like, I can't believe it's, it's a tampon, right? <laughs> and, and he's doing, he's delivering the lines deadpan. This is just a farce. And for that, I, I really can't go higher in my ratings. But uh, some really great lines, some of the biting lines, like uh, uh, Matt, like you had mentioned, the one about Pakistani dirt vendor or the French deodorant salesman. Yeah. It's, just, it's just funny. It's just funny stuff. Again, not one of my, not something that I'll rate higher than a three and a half, but funny nonetheless. And, uh, you know, and as a bald guy, like I sort of enjoyed uh, this episode. And I think I enjoy it more as an adult who was completely bald as opposed to back in 1995 where I was, uh, my hair was, hairline was receding, but I wasn't yet, uh, I didn't have that homemade uh, uh, or natural skull cap or yarmulke on my head yet, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. uh... So so any other comments? Yeah, I did want to point out a couple more things, and that is I was looking at the, I found a site, well, actually through Wikipedia, and I was looking at their ratings of Married with Children. And in their first season, they were number 142. But remember, Fox wasn't in every market. The second season, they were 116. Still not in every market. Now, their breakthrough season, season three, they jumped to number 48. More markets were getting it, after, especially after the Terry Ricola. And then it hovers in the fifth number 50s with a 10.12 and a 13.0 rating. And in season six, they had their highest rating at number 29 with a 13.36 rating. Then it starts to plummet. And first season seven, number 37 with a, almost a 12 rating. And 1993-94 season eight, they dropped to 46 with a 10.77 rating. 94.95 was a 10.10 rating, and it's going to continue to slide. And now we're in season 10, it dropped to a 9.2 rating. While I do think it's partly syndication, I also think it's also partly because the writing, and I kind of wonder if the actors are starting to get tired of the roles at this point. Because I remember when Al, or when uh, Ed O'Neill found out the show was canceled, from uh, these people in Hawaii or someplace where he was visiting, he bought him a bottle of wine. Yeah, I, like I said, I mean, it just goes to it. I mean, like we're in season 10. I mean, and what we're really seeing is like a lot of eye candy, a lot of slapstick. And, it, you know, it's like if you like that type of humor, mm-hmm. this is going to appeal to you. If it's not uh, if it's not your cup of tea, you're probably going to start turning the television off. Yeah, you know, especially if you were a fan in the early seasons and you liked early season type humor. I mean, the show is very different at this point. 
it's almost 180 degrees away from what it originally was. Right. It, it wasn't this Moyes last year as a creator? No, that was the end of season nine. Oh, okay. So he's not there anymore at this point. Correct. And at this point, he's like an executive creative consultant. That's how he appears in the credits. One of the things uh, is that it's most likely that he may have, maybe he'd given some story ideas, right, in season uh-huh. 10. And that's a question. For example, Requiem for a Dead Briard, in which was the third episode of the season, which was about two weeks ago. He did write that, but he was gone. But, you know, I imagine he might have written it in season nine and then they just, you know, filmed it in season 10. So, you know, this is it. Yeah. Sad we only have one more season to do with this. Yeah, it is sad. Yep. All I can say is I hope you don't get burned on the head while walking outside. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And that's it for this week's review of the Married with Children podcast. Next week, Team Australia and Tyler will be reviewing The Weaker Sex. Peggy takes up a self-defense class. What's worse, she is soon promoted to the advanced class. This makes Al feel emasculated. To make Peg drop the self-defense class, Kelly suggests Al take Peg out on a romantic date to see the director's cut of The Bridges of Madison County. God, I want to throw myself in front of a car. <laughs> <laughs> All those in favor of ending this podcast respond by saying bald. 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 All those opposed can say hair. Motion carried. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. And remember, tune in next week. Same Bundy time, same Bundy channel. Good brother Steve, tell her so she can realize like thousands of other women have that bald men are sexier, more virile, and aerodynamic. (laughs) Let's face it, it doesn't get better than bald. Remember, a bald head says good in bed.